Recorded live. Scuba Upsets, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 280, is recorded live May 5th, 2016. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, warming up as we speak. Oh, this is beautiful weather. Even though we did have a little bit of a cold snap earlier in the week, it, at least it beats snow. 47 is 47, which beats 30 or less. Yes. Yeah, any, anytime it's not, the, the water isn't getting hard. I think that's pretty good. This Yes. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Mark in the chat room and Vanessa the Mermaids in the chat room. And I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. We have It's been quite a few weeks. I think we've, we've been off more than we've been on. Uh, most of that's due to the fact that my kids have been involved with the robotics competition. One of the downsides of success is that there's more competition. They went to state, uh, did well at state. Uh, didn't quite get into the playoffs like they were hoping for, but did qualify for world competition. We went to St. Louis, Missouri this last weekend and competed down there. Uh, what they do is they divide 600 and some teams that qualify for worlds into eight divisions. In our division, we ranked 40th and qualified for being selected uh, a playoff alliance. We made it to the semifinals of the playoffs. And the team that beat us, or the alliance that beat us, was actually the one that went went on to win the whole thing. So we ended up, uh, even though they don't quite rank it the same way when you get out of the playoffs, we were in the top 120 teams out of 6,000 that are competing there. So that's not too bad for a season. Well, I'm looking forward to getting some opportunity to get back on the water and that uh, the, the robotics kind of winding to an end. And, Mac, I, I understand that there's been a whole lot of diving going on. Well, you would have probably missed me the last couple of weeks because on Thursdays we started the uh, Thursday Thursdays dive again. Yes. And for last month, what we wound up doing is it so happened that it coincided with the local museum doing programs on archaeology on Thursdays. Okay. And they started at 7.30, so I dare say 12 people average from the club going to those same presentations on Thursday night. Excellent. So we, we learned a good bit, and I think we taught them a few things. <laughs> oh, the, 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 you taught the archaeologists how to find a shipwreck? Well, not exactly shipwreck. The first one was basically on what archaeology is, and the uh, individual speaking talked about one of her projects up north, which happened to be an old lumber camp, which always interests us, because you got lumber camps, you got ships. Uh, the second one was on Fort St. Joe, which we have a vested interest in since it's about two miles upstream of us from where we dive the river. Yes. Uh, so we learned a few things from him, and uh, some of the, the items that we find out there rusting on the bottom are not necessarily, not necessarily what we think they are. They're actually from a long time ago. Oh, really? That was interesting. And we got a few more leads on places to go look for stuff in the river. And then the last one is which we had the most participation, and that was... Uh, the gentleman talking about using ROVs for shipwreck discovery. And um, I looked him up a little bit. Not only is he an academic individual, meaning with his doctorate, he's got 15 years of oil exploration with ROVs that average $2 million each. Yeah, a little bit of coin there. Yes. And uh, he happened to be the same one that uh, Kevin worked with uh, last year. No, year four last, I think it is, in the ice. Yes. Up at Reed Lake, trying to do some video and sonar graphing of the hazel. Okay. So when he talked about that, and, you know, he was trying to get the audience involved, who's been diving here, who's done this, and when he realized that the guy in the back was Kevin, the guy who worked with him on that one, he said, you guys know all this stuff anyway. <laughs> but it was interesting. One of the interesting video clips he had was using the ROV to video a moose eating vegetation up north, underwater. Oh, the moose was underwater eating. No, the, mo the moose was in the water, but he was eating vegetation that's underwater. And at, up to that point, they didn't know one question was, does the moose open his eyes when he's underwater? 
Oh, I mean, duh. And then the second is, what is he eating? So they were able to answer those questions because the ROV was right there. And the best part is where the moose is eating and come up to it and bumped it with his nose. <laughs> and some people were concerned about them using it because they said, that's going to be hostile to the environment. It's going to spook the moose. Duh. Yeah. You got a thousand pound moose, a little ROV in the water, ain't going to face him. No, no. He's just thinking that's some sort of funny looking fish. Yep. He's probably seeing if that was mouth sized or edible. But um, so we had a good time last month. We didn't do a lot of wet stuff, but we did do a lot of interesting items. Well, we'll, we'll cover a little bit more of some of the diving that's been going on. But let's go ahead and jump on into the little bit of a smattering. Uh, the, the first one in here, I'll, I'll, this is amended since I did the paste it into the chat room of the bonus. And this one is our favorite captain. Just there, oh, the, the Concordia captain skirts blame at shipwreck appeal. I'm going to try and slaughter them here. Latino was sentenced February 2015 to 16 years and one month in jail after a judge ruled his recklessness caused the giant Costa Concordia to hit underwater rocks off the Tuscan island of Giglio. Giglio, 55-year-old career seaman who has not yet begun his sentence, says he's been made the solitary scapegoat for the disaster and will seek to overturn his manslaughter conviction. An appeal which opened Thursday and will run through May at least. The prosecutor is simultaneously appealing last year's sentence, asking Thursday that he go down for 27 years and three months. We believe there are serious responsibilities which cannot be ascribed to Chalettino, and we hope to be able to show that, according to his lawyer, some problems with some of the technical. We need to look more deeply to find out what really caused the accident. Well, I thought it was kind of obvious that when the ship runs into a rock and it sinks. Well, that's what it said here. It said he was accused of showing off when he steered the ship too close to the island. Duh. Mm-hmm. While entertaining a female friend. I like the other part where they talked about international media called them the Captain Coward. <laughs> Remember that aspect? Because he got off <coughs> Yeah, he was one of the first one off the boat. Yeah. So, supposedly to be able to help facilitate. The, the facilitate the evacuation. Yeah. How? I don't know. I didn't see him with a bullhorn. We cannot say the blame lies with others. It also lies with, but that is not clear. The company sidestepped potential criminal charges in 2013 by accepting partial responsibility and agreeing to pay 1 million euro fine. That seems like a bargain when you think about it. Well, what is it? The company was ordered to pay just over 7 million euros in compensation to the survivors and the region. But that's, that doesn't seem like a lot for the number of people involved. No, and how many perished. And they also had the salvage of the vessel. Did they talk about the salvage cost? In, oh, not I seen did not it. see that reference. It said each region of Tuscany and the island Leo were awarded 300,000 euros, each a tiny fraction. So look forward to seeing some more information about that. Yeah, this is not over. Two-month ordeal? Yep. Okay, yep. here it is. Mariner rescued after two months ordeal at sea. This one's out of Honolulu. A Colombian... Mariner was rescued after surviving two months' ordeal in the Pacific by eating fish and seagulls, the U.S. Coast Guard said. The man told the Coast Guard that his three companions on the disabled 23-foot skiff died at sea, but their bodies were not aboard the vessel that was adrift in a lightly traveled expanse of the ocean. He did, however, have the men's passport. The four sailors had left Columbia more than two months ago, the Coast Guard said. At some point, their skiff engine failed, and they were left adrift. The 29-year-old survivor, who was not identified, was spotted and rescued by the Panamanian-flagged Nikki Verdi, a merchant ship more than 2,000 miles southeast of Hawaii. He was transferred to Coast Guard boat and arrived in Honolulu in good condition on Wednesday. The Coast Guard video showed the survivor dressed in a black T-shirt, jeans, baseball cap, and a life vest as he gingerly climbed down the ladder of the Nikki Verdi onto the Coast Guard vessel. In the video, the survivor spoke through the Coast Guard interpreter and thanked his rescuers and God. He said he would have loved if his friends in the skiff could have been there with him. This mariner had good fortitude and a very fortunate the crew. The Nicky Verde happened upon him in the area as is not heavily trafficked, according to uh, Coast Guard Lieutenant Commander John McKinnon. Coast Guard said it is not investigated. How far does the Coast Guard jurisdiction... <coughs> Depending on what you mean by jurisdiction. Well... I mean, he was found 2,000 miles southeast of Hawaii. Would that be, I mean, if a crime happened out there, would the Coast Guard be responsible to investigate? I don't know how they could because it's on a a different flag vessel. That was not an American boat or American individuals. So I think they'd be hard-pressed to do anything about it. But then again, I'm curious how we caught the seagulls. (laughs) Did he bait them? I mean, that would sound, you know, put a snare or something. Or if you're that far out, maybe they say, hey, I can land on that. I bet you they do. Seagulls. I mean, how many times have you been somewhere and there's a seagull will go and land? We call we, What we call those, the, the bird buoys? 
well, yeah, that or the flying rats. <laughs> yeah, but, that'd uh, be interesting. That might be something that might be something to learn how to do. And you're not going to keep a body on your boat when they're deceased. I agree. You know, I was thinking grim you know, possibility of of bodies that's, in the boat. But. That's trying to eat them. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe, uh, maybe that's what maybe that's how he kept the seagulls. <laughs> you know, a little a little past companion bait there. Uh, but uh, he's extremely lucky, and I don't think it was anything deliberate because if it's two thousand miles oh, no. away from Hawaii, yeah, you you don't you don't go and make an excursion that way just to knock off three of your friends. You're, you're lucky to survive uh, two yeah. months. But it's not, I mean, because not only do you have food, you have to worry about water's even more important. Yeah, that was. I was curious how. That's the big one, I would think. Unless he just happened to be lucky with rain and that the boat was filling up with water. Yeah, it makes you wonder though why the other guys died. Twenty-three foot skiff. So that's that's not a big vessel at all. Uh no, I can't even think about being in a storm out there and something. Oh. Well, don't think so. That's that's an amazing, amazing to survive. Mm. Well, at least he didn't have Wilton with him, did he? Wilson, I, I I don't know. Maybe he made one. Maybe he made a Wilson. <laughs> oh, I should shut up. That's that's not very nice. <coughs> and then, do you have Cleveland's water supply? Did I give you that one? No, sir. Okay, is a case that anything you put in the water never truly goes. You mean the solution to pollution does not dilution? Dilution, or just ditch it in the lake? Uh, Cleveland's water supply, uh, many are saying, is at risk as a toxic blob creeps across less according to the ohio a toxic mass lying in the bottom of lake erie about nine miles offshore is raising alarm at ohio's epa and the city water department as tests show it migrating dangerously close to an intake pipe that supplies the city's drinking water the two square mile blob contains poisonous material dredged from the oh my gosh what was that chiahaga river chiahaga chiahaga used to burn shipping channel and dumped untreated into the lake during the years prior to the passage of the Clean Water Act of 1972. Recent tests of the sediment located in the section of the lake bottom known as Area 1 found alarmingly high concentrations of PCBs and PAH, both highly toxic pollutants, 100% fatal to aquatic organisms such as worms, crustaceans that live in the soil provide vital food. EPA Director Craig Butler sent a letter this week to Brigadier General Richard Kayser, head of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Great Lakes Division, warning the potential dangers of Area 1 and seeking action to remediate the toxic. Area 1 is within approximately five miles of water intake for the city. Cleveland Butler wrote in a letter dated Tuesday, sampling data in and around Area 1 clearly shows the ability of these sediments to migrate and further shows the sediment migrating in the direction of the water intake. An Army Corps spokesman said the general had received an unofficial copy of the letter and will be discussing it with Ohio EPA as they require. A battery test earlier this month showed no evidence for PAHs in the water, um, raw lake water, or treated drinking water, Butler said, although the city will continue to test for the rest of this year and next. So this is something that's been in there for quite a while. And, and they're saying that it's moving. Do you think that's just normal sediment? I was curious about the uh, wave action and the current for it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and when you think of Flint right now, yes, this has got to be taken a lot more serious than they would have if it hadn't been for Flint. Well, and that's probably why people are doing it. They, they've they known about it for a while. If you go down through the comments, you can see people saying, ah, this has been there for a while. It returns and also on facebook which is where i originally saw it they were saying the same thing it, it's been there for a while <coughs> and many are saying that the cleanup program is going to introduce more of the contaminants into the water stream than if they just leave it which is certainly possible throw a bunch of sediment into the water stream. doesn't have much they suck it up put it on a huge barge but but would that i mean when you suck up sediment doesn't that up in the water well if you're sucking it up like through a straw and you're putting it on a container oh i see i'm mixing and then you can let it settle out, process the water, and then treat the, the sludge that you will have left. So what do you do with the sludge? Treat the sludge, so see you, what it is, and or transport it back in. And, uh, and put it where you took it from in the first place, back in the river? <laughs> find a big bag and put it in. Do the rest of our trash. Yeah, well, and we've had the same, the similar situations here where they've they've dredged the river is that uh, the sediment that they're dredging out they've determined has higher level of uh, toxic chemicals than you would like to put anywhere oh yeah well even in hours that's why you have to have it in a certain area that you can dump it yeah. so it can't can you know contaminate the groundwater because when we started doing our dredging we had cadmium lead you know those items that don't go away in a million years unlike you know radioactivity that does 
right. potential decay. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Did Did you see? Uh, well, like we, they talked about the the chemicals. Have you seen Lane Automotive? How they're expanding? Where they're at? Oh, big time. That property they were on at one point in time, they wanted to put the dredge spoils from the river there. And my brother-in-law complained because his property is right next door. He, sa- he says, I don't want you putting toxic chemicals. Like, oh, it's perfectly safe. He goes, well, if it's so safe, I need some fill. Why don't you give me some of that too? And they go, oh, well, we can't do it because it's not that safe. So it's a, it's a little bit of a double standard. Yeah. They, they wanted to get rid of it, but they didn't want the responsibility of what it could potentially uh, well, you figured the sediment blob, and I'm looking at the pictorial of it, looks like the blob that's coming ashore. Yes. And that coincides with the lake kills they're having in Lake Erie also. Well, the dead that, zones. Yeah. And that's on the surface. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're, they're related. Maybe it's uh, the you've broken the biological cycle that happens there in the lake, and algae gets to go rampant. Well, this is the second major issue they have with uh, you know that type of item there in Lake Erie. Someone should be doing something soon. Yeah, Lake Erie is, and it's been a mess for a while. I understand it's not as bad as it used to, but it still needs to be addressed. And for those who don't know what we talked about when we mentioned Flint, they started sucking their water from a different source, and they had lead in their pipes. So they basically have been uh, drinking lead for the last how many months? My gosh, it's it's Wait, been first? it's been probably been over a year. They they've they were forced to switch back to Detroit. Water system. When you think of of water, Detroit doesn't sound too uh, too great, but that's actually being drawn from uh, the St. Clair River. There, a much higher quality than we're going to get out of an industrial river. Uh, what, what really with the problem with the with the Flint River is that not only was the river itself contaminated, but more to the fact is that the pH wasn't the right level and the water wasn't being treated to the right pH, which caused the lead that was already in the pipes to leach out. I'm sure this is the way throughout the world, but especially the United States, any water systems that are over 80 or 90 years old tend to have components of them with lead pipes. A lot of times I like to say it's more to the end faucets, but it's not. It's, it's the actual, they actually, it was solid lead pipes. That was uh, what they made piping out of, or iron and or PVC or butane. Some of the uh, plastic, they were all made out of lead. And if you have the wrong pH, it will cause that lead to dissolve and become uh, get into the water. So you properly treat the the water, including adjusting. It's not the best thing. You'd prefer not to have it, and that's what they're going to do in Flint. So if you haven't been following that, the Flint is at uh, state of Michigan's funding uh, all the all the pipes in Flint being pulled up and replaced. In the end, they're in the end. In the end, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be painful and expensive. It's always one of those items: pay me now or pay me later. And mm-hmm. paying you later is going to cost you one hell of a lot more money. Yeah, yeah, but what it's what it's doing in the uh, the current uh, presidential administration, they went out and told all the cities they need to tell us where the lead pipes are, and a lot of towns have said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We don't have the resources or the the time to do it, and we don't know. This is not done. There's going to be a lot of cities. Uh, Boston was actually, I think, one of the cities actually had a good map on, it. and they've got lots and lots of lead pipes, but they had it mapped out as to where they were. And what percentage of the pipes you can go online and actually take a look. Next article is out of Aust- Is this an Australian name? Carrie Billy? I would just say an Australian scuba diver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's along the same trend that we've been talking about. Pollution, both chemical and our particulate, that is really messing up our oceans and our lakes and our streams. This is another example of it. Yep. Uh, Pablo Canestro is on a mission to clean up the Sydney Harbor and is calling for volunteer divers to help him. He's been diving the harbor for years and is sick of the amount of rubbish he encounters in the ocean, whether it's it's on work or recreational dive, since he's making New Year's resolution to collect the garbage he sees. Uh, he has hauled up 10 bags of filth per week. He said the harbor is littered with trash, particularly around the bays and beaches where boats frequently park. Uh, he's even found an entire wheelie bin on the sea floor. What's a wheelie bin? That must be I like a garbage cart. I would think so. He says there's rubbish everywhere, especially in the water and the bottom of the ocean. You have a high concentration of people. That's where the rubbish is concentrated. People need to get in their minds not to toss anything into water. He says he wants people to work together to keep the ocean clean instead of polluting it. Taking rubbish from the ocean will help the environment a lot. He says there are a lot of tires, plastics, bottles, and all things that need to be taken out. Is that an Australian spelling of tires? Yes. And by the way, the wheelie bin you're talking about is like we put our trash in for pickup. Okay. Yellow or blue or so. So it's a, it's a little cart. It's like a, a trash can with with two wheels on. Yeah, and but the, at least uh, if you got that out, you can use that yourself. Yeah. But looking at the pictures, it's a common item that we see: plastic, aluminum. Yes, you see big, tons of it every time we go down. 
it, if we had a place to put it, that's why we don't pick up. We know, you know, we pick up bottles and stuff, and then what we don't use, we trash. We don't mm-hmm. put it back in the water. But if we picked up every scrap, we wouldn't. Most people wouldn't do it because there's no place to put it when you well, bring it back up. I've come out of the water many times, and I have had about half my body weight in trash. You know, I, I've, I'm destroying uh, bags, uh, my grab bags, goodie bag, just pulling this stuff out. So you, you can't take it all out. You just kind of have to pick at it a little bit at a time. And for me, I like to pick it up because I, I won't get the, I won't see it and think that it's something I want. So I might as well just pick it up now and eliminate it for next time. If we did nothing more, let's say down in Niles where we dive a lot, mm-hmm. you know where they had the walkouts? Yes. People fish from. If we did nothing but clean up those areas, it'd still be a phenomenal amount of trash because people oh, yeah. will, I'm on the pier, they junk it right there out, you know, within 10 feet of the pier. It's, it's where the junk is. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind. It just wow. all sits right there, and it and it, it spreads. You know, it doesn't stay there. It, it's in the water, and it starts migrating down, and fish and critters get caught in it. Yeah. If you're a fisherman, you don't want to throw that in because you're not doing anything. I, I, I'm going to jump around for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I meant to keep it, but it was a picture of some gentleman who developed the new process for getting trash out around harbors and docks. And all it was is a large cylinder, looked like a net cylinder, and it had a little pump in it that all it was is maybe a half inch under the water. I mean, the net was down in it, but it was within about a half inch of the surface. And all the pump did is suck water through it. So everything floating on the surface would go through it and collect in that porous bag. Okay. It was amazing the crap they were getting out. Just that people, you know, sandwich bag wrappers. Oh, yeah. Bread wrappers that you just toss until it gets waterlogged. And they were able to pick all that up. It was amazing what they were getting out in a 24-hour period. Yeah, any anytime you throw anything, any, and you don't even have to throw it in the river. If you throw it in your yard or in your driveway and the rain washes it, when it goes into that gutter, many places, that's a separate storm drain, which has no filtration. That just goes right from that, that gutter into the river and out. Of the- yeah. I, 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 as a side note, if anybody out there is like to do treasure hunting, you take your metal detector and you find those outflows, it's amazing the coins you will find just because of what you said, because of the storms. Yeah. When you get a lot of flow of water, it moves. Yes, it does. And while you're there picking up the coins, pick up the, cra- the trash and take that out with you. Well, they're saying that uh, this is a di- little bit different take on jellyfish stings. They're saying heat is better than cold. Researchers find overwhelming evidence that applying hot packs or immersing in hot water is much better for treating jellyfish stings than cold water, which was previously widely recommended. They said jellyfish stings are responsible for more deaths than shark attacks a year. Now, I didn't realize that jellyfish stings were killing people. Even mild stings can hurt for hours a day, leaving lasting scars. According to some estimates, more than 150 million people are stung by jellyfish ear. Scientist uh, Christy Wilcock and Angela Yangahara from the University of Hawaii at uh, Manoa conducted a systematic review to compare the use of cold or heat and jellyfish sting treatment using common ranking system for clinical evidence. The pair combined through, uh, combed through more than 2,000 related articles from searches of major scientific journal article database to find every study to date that examined the effects of using temperature-based treatment for jellyfish. The overwhelming evidence supported immersion in hot water, finding the venom component are inactivated at temperatures 40 and 50 degrees Celsius. I was shocked that science is so clear given there's so much debate over the use of hot water, Silcock. Hot water immersion is already starting, uh, is already a standard care for other severe, including those for potentially life-threatening stonefish. It's simple, really. If you're stung, use hot water or hot packs rather than ice or ice packs. Scientists immersing a sting limb in 45 degrees Celsius water for 20 minutes has no ill effects, a safe and effective method of reducing pain and improves the outcome. You know, in a way that makes sense because that's something that in the natural environment where you would get stung, that wouldn't happen. I mean, water doesn't normally get to that temperature. Uh, it would make sense that the toxin. Well, 45 degrees Celsius is 113 degrees. So that's, that's pretty toasty. That's more than what you're going to be in a normal hot tub. Well, 104 is 40. Yeah. And they were saying, what, 45? Yeah. Uh, 40, yeah, between 40 and 50. So if you split the difference and went 45, that's 113. And 150 is pretty toasty. You're going to, it's going to, it's not going to be, I don't think that temperature is comfortable. Uh, 104, I mean, 40, excuse me, 104 wouldn't be bad. Yeah, 104 is not. But I, I just had to look that up to double check to see what that is. 104 is a. 
104 is not bad. You know, a hot tub, you can do 104, 106, 108, and we're talking Fahrenheit here. You know, now you're really getting hot. You're going to, you can, you know, survive it. It's definitely not fatal. You're going to start getting under that higher temp. But I'm thinking that maybe that's part of the, the value of feeling better is that uh-huh. that heat, the, the, the heat bothers you more than the sting at that point. Give you a quick little item. Current model dishwashers have a minimum requirement of 120 degrees Fahrenheit, or which is 49 degrees C, mm-hmm. according to this article here. So you're going to have to have a pretty toasty to do any good. I don't even think my my hot water heater I have set below that. Uh, do you really? Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't keep mine that, that hot. Uh, my hot my uh, dishwasher has a, a heater, in, so it will step the water up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just for energy things. I've always kept it. A little. Uh, MIT's virtual scuba simulator makes you feel like you're really diving under. It's called Amphibian. Could offer those unable or hesitant to dive a cool way to still experience the ocean. It's created by uh, Dervu Wan. A Master of Science candidate at MIT's Living Mobile Group, the simulator uses virtual reality and suspended harness to create the feeling of swing underwater. Users simply put on an Oculus Rift headset and headphones enter the harness in a way so they're lying on their torso. Sensors create the effect of buoyancy, drag, temperature during the simulation. There's also an inflatable airbag under the torso that will inflate when the user breathes in and deflates on the exit, creating the illusion of ascending and descending. Uh, Juan also created gloves embedded with sensors so the user can grab objects during a simulation like a crab or a shell and feel the sensation of being something. Amphibian is a technical and artistic project for Juan whose particular partially death-created simulators so people can experience the liberating effects of disabilities. Underwater, our vital sensors are dulled or warped, but those contradictions I experience a peace that I can only expect to feel with the freedom, according to Juan and the MIT press release. I'm not sure what that can experience, the liberating effects of disabilities. I'm not sure that's worded correctly. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think that disability is a, a liberating effect? <laughs> no. Do you? <laughs> I wouldn't think so, but maybe what he's talking about is just the absence of certain sensation. You know, people will go into chambers that move sound, remove light. What, what was, wasn't there a, like a water chamber that people sit in a tub with? Oh, there's the, yeah, that's the one where you, it's, um, some of them had like salt water and stuff, so you would float pretty good. Yeah. Sen- sensory sound. depth, depth, uh, right. depth deprivation chambers. Yes. I'd like to try that if I wouldn't freak out too bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, the, the, I'd like to think I'd be fine. Maybe it's one of those things I don't want to, to experience. Have you ever been in, a, in a, a sound chamber that is developed to suck up all the sound? I haven't been in one of the really good ones. I've been like in studio recording rooms, but I haven't been in. I'm trying to remember. Metabolic, I'm, yeah, I'm, I was in one, and I think it's more of a studio thing. But uh-huh. you're sitting there, and you know you can you can not only feel your heartbeat, but I swear to God, you can hear it in your ears. <laughs> I believe. Well, well, but more side note. Temperatures for your water heater, typically 120, but yes. in some cases, OSHA recommends 140, depending on what your water quality is. Now, the 140 is just for sterilizing, to help uh, get it hot enough to really clean the kitchen. That, True. I, Believe it or not, 167, I think, is what they wanted for killing things like Legionnaire's disease. Uh-huh. I would like to try the. I'd like to try all those simulators like that. I would think so. I, I think that they need to have us, you know, they need to fly us in there. So that we can try it out. Well, see, they have that for uh, skydiving simulator. You're in your harness with the uh, visual on. You have the toggles. And the only thing you can see is you're flying. So I've seen the the skydiving ones where it used to be the tube with the jet engine underneath just blew the air roll. But you're talking about one where you're actually suspended and blow air on you? No, you don't blow air. You're using the uh, the visual. Oh, talk. so just the, head, and, the headset. Right. And it's like, bam, you're there. I've got one of those headsets on order, so I'll, I'm going to have to try it. Try some when it comes in. It's been back ordered for about four weeks. That sold a little well, I. Yeah, they're, they're pretty nice. The, the only thing they really don't show you is how much it hurts when you screw up your landing. <laughs> they, they don't simulate torquing your knee or anything. No, no. If they had some little sensors on your legs and stuff so you could feel the pain, that would be more interesting. <laughs> Little shocks, or there's, there's a guy out there who's got a little, little sledgehammer. He just like smacks you. Oh yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> can, not, I, can I be the sledgehammer guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, this is from National Geographic. They're saying Captain Cook's ship hasn't been found yet. 
They said this is uh, in response to a press conference held Wednesday in Providence, Rhode Island. News headline, headlines around the world announced the possible discovery. The HMB Endeavor, made famous by Captain James Cook, sailed it around the world in the later 18th century, charting the east coast of Australia for the first time. However, according to data presented by the Rhode Island Marine Archaeological Project, or MP, a nonprofit organization that presented the research at the press conference and is heading up the search for the wreck, the remains of the Endeavour have yet to be located or identified. And here's what we know. The Endeavour is most likely in Newport Harbor. Cook commanded the British Royal Bark Endeavour on his first circumnavigation of the globe between 1760 and 1771, according to archival research by RIMAP's executive director and principal investigator, D.K. Abbas. It was sold to a private ownership of the Crown in 1775 and renamed Lord Sandwich. During the Revolutionary War, Lord Sandwich was chartered as a transport vessel by the British Navy and eventually served as a prison ship for American loyalists in Newport. The possibility of the remains of the Lord Sandwich X Endeavor are in Newport Harbor, first publicized in 1999, a potential discovery has been subject to several news articles in the years since. As a Revolutionary War uh, raged in the summer of 1778, a French fleet sailed toward Newport to join them with join up with American forces, the British Navy began to scuttle vessels in the outer harbor to obstruct the French approach. Along with Navy warships, 13 chartered transport vessels were also including Sandwich. RIMAP's team of volunteers been working on identifying the 13 scuttled transfo- transport vessels in Newport Harbor since the late 1990s, locating and mapping nine so far. In January this year, Abess found a document in the British National Archives that indicated Lord Sandwich is among the group of five vessels scuttled in a very specific area of the harbor. RIMAP has located and mapped four Revolution War era vessels in this specific area and has remote sync target that indicates there's most likely a fifth wreck as well. We're closing in it, says about. If we haven't found the document, we'd have still be saying it's one of 13 wrecks or one of nine. Now we can say it's one. However, divers have not yet visited Target to verify that is indeed the shipwreck. And if so, it's a right period of history. We can't rule the possibility that one of the vessels located in this area is indeed Lord Sandwich, or a lot of analysis will be necessary in order to make a final firm identification. Researchers yet to find out consistent with the vessel being Lord Sandwich, for instance, artifacts associated with the prison and the construction details consistent with what's known of the and additions will likely endure, ensure that no other vessel in the area can claim this is science. You're not sure until you can prove it. <coughs> this seems to be the way with all with, with all the, the ships. You know, they go from being something famous to something that's being used to junk just to be stuck on the bottom. Which is true of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the first aircraft they used for Air Force One, mm-hmm. you know, was a Connie, a uh, Constellation. Yeah. Uh, it was found in a boatyard getting ready to be scrapped. <laughs> it wasn't important until somebody said, hey, this is the number one first ship, blah, blah, blah. And enough people liked the idea that they got it, got it so it can fly again. It's now being into a place where it's going to be totally restored. But it's not a government project. It's private industry. But again, after 200 years now, you're concerned about Ships that were scuttled on purpose in shallow water, and the reason they got to be shallow if they're going to be a navigation hazard, yeah. got to be shallow, right? So after two hundred years, they're in what kind of shape? They're going to be. Right. It's just going to be bones, uh, and, and most likely, what happened is that the sand collected around them. So there's an island or a sandbar or something that has formed. They hope because otherwise, yes. in the sea, you're going to have the little worms eat the wood. Now, if they were going to scuttle it, they should have done it in Lake Michigan for us. Yeah, we could have done it. In fact, somebody needs us to be scuttling some boats. I wonder if they had EPA approval to scuttle those ships there. <laughs> yes. They got all the, the bad stuff out of them before they did that. Yeah, they, they, of, of course, yeah. I think we'd be lucky if they just took the prisoners off before they scuttled it. <laughs> Food uh, for the fishes. Okay. Uh, details emerge. A Cold War era nuclear ship. Did I give you that one? I don't see that one. Paste don't that the one. aircraft carry off California, by the way, or not? That's the one. We've covered it in the past. Yeah, come back in, and I just saw this last week. There's additional information that wasn't just uh, you know a little uh, shipwreck that they they got rid of, I mean, and, and some of it we knew of because it was from the nuclear testing. Yeah, will pop up there in the window. It says more details emerge regarding the wreck of the USS Independent. U.S. Navy vessel deliberately sacrificed in 1946 in the Bikini Atoll nuclear weapons test. At the very inception of the Cold War, the independence, which was used by a Navy as a nuclear test platform for five years, eventually met its end when it was perfectly, per, uh, 
perfect, purposefully scuttled around 30 miles off the coast of central California. The location long kept secret to prevent the Soviet Union from gleaning any information that would aid in their own de- endeavors to develop bigger and more devastating nuclear weapons was pinpointed in 2015 through a joint effort between aeronautics giant Boeing and the offices of, US, uh, offices of National Marine Sanctuary Inspiration, or NOAA. So why was Boeing in? Not really sure at the time. Uh, unless they were just trying to prove something. No one Boeing used a combination of high-resolution sonar imaging and unmanned submersible known as Echo Ranger to locate and safely survey the still irradiated wreck of independence, resultant case study, plus newly declassified files in a Navy ship straight from the U.S. National Archives concerning a time a nuclear weapons testbed had been published in the journal Maritime Archaeology, ANA. At the press release from the journal publisher Springer, one of JMA's editors-in-chief, Annalis Corbin, remarked that the journal was honored to be presenting such historically significant information in the Cold War archaeological effort. Corbin hopes the newly published material will launch new conversations on the management and maritime underwater cultural heritage sites such as the final resting place of the independent. Go down here. And they don't talk about in this article, but another article I found showed that there was there was additional material that was deposited into the wreck before it was sunk. So there just happened to be a little bit of radioactive waste that they didn't really have any good solution to do with. So, you know, instead of having two piles of radioactive waste, why don't we just make one pile? So portions of the ship, they had put uh, concrete casts with radioactive material and waste in it and sank it with the vessel. Did you happen to see that, Mac? No, I did not. Let me see if I can find that. But that was something, I, and it's in relation to this. I, this one, the, this, the new historian was kind of light on that. But another article had that they showed where the material was housed. What gets me is they were talking about they, they sank it there so you could keep it from the Soviets. How deep is that freaking thing? It's quite deep, as I remember. It was a couple thousand feet, I thought. So what are they going to do with Soviet ships? Are gonna, how are they going to look at that wreck and tell anything? I mean, it's a secret. Don't tell you where you dropped it. To keep the Soviets from looking at it a couple of thousand feet under the water. I think they I think they knew where it was and it was just bait. Maybe they were just trying to bait them in. <laughs> Search tool. I can find it. Yeah, usually not what you want when you want it though. No, not right here. I'll have to look. article on PayPal, a new history. That, that was the one we were just at. Uh, the biggest thing I got out of that was back many years ago when they had cleanup people taking care of areas like that. These guys are now developing cancer because they were not the, the precautions for them to take, like the mask to wear, oh yeah, tie or decon suits. Mm-hmm. They didn't wear them because it was too damn hot. Oh yeah, because so you you, you could to... you could decide you didn't want to follow the rules. It, it was amazing. My, my father was a health safety person. It, it all comes down to repeated exposure. Yeah, I mean you can have a chest X ray once and that's fine, but you have a chest X ray every day for a year. Uh, you're probably not going to do too. Yeah. If you went to uh, Wikipedia, it's called Operation Crossroads. It gives uh-huh. you a lot of information on the sequence of the, ba- of the blast, the ships that were in it, and how far they were from the ground zero. That included amphibious ships, battleships, submarines, aircraft carriers, oilers, um, and a dry dock from either zero feet out to 1,500 yards. Well, we really were trying to figure out this is at the time when, when we didn't know what a future war would be like, and we needed to kind of understand what would survive, what wouldn't, what materials were. Because there's that point in time when you think you can survive a nuke. Yeah, when you start talking nukes, and then you got to start looking at hydrogen, and then you got to stick and look at cobalt, and you, you don't want to be in any of those. No, no, it's uh, you just it's this starts you start to say you know what we so as long as your culture that wants to have some sort of legacy beyond the immediate. You decide that. You know, our risk now is that when we have cultures uh, think that they're they're going to get an ultimate reward by killing everybody right now, those are the ones. Yeah. Uh, wow. This is this is nice. This is Wikipedia. They yeah. just do an excellent. And the crossroads is interesting, but like everything else, you still got to do your own research. The oh yeah, yeah. Because anybody can go in here and edit these. Yeah. <clears throat> but what's nice is this becomes a source to get you started, and then yeah. you can start digging. In. Right, cross-reference. Just a quick ramp-up topic. Yep. The nice part is when you go there, you got some of those underwater pictures also of the carriers. Oh, yeah. And then somebody in the chat room tonight was talking about that they had just, I think it was Mark, and he was bragging. He said, just did Turk Lagoon, did diving for 10 days in April. How how great is that? I That's one of the meccas, I think, for divers. I, the oh. Great Barrier Reef, 
and Truckler Grove. It's it's on yeah. my bucket list. I I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to dive it, but it's one that. Yeah. You know, well, you know who goes there all the freaking time, don't you? Well, Sass does, don't they? Sass. He's got I, connections. Uh, I swear, nineteen different trips he's made already. Oh, he's done. He's done a bunch of. And uh, there's a while there where they, it, it's it's not a really economic place for somebody to run a charter out of. So there's it's there's not every year you can get there. But he's got right. the connection. So when it comes up to when they're doing it. He's going. If you ever, he's he's one of the first ones on your on your list. If you do decide you, you win the lottery and you want to go, you need to call Rick at Sass Diving out of is that Battle Creek there. Yeah, Battle Creek. And he can, he can get you there. If he can't, if he's not, he doesn't have a charter going. He can tell you who to. Oh, and his photography is exceptional. Him oh, and his yes. brother have also have been in National Geographic's. So they do some very decent photography. A nice shop. Another, you know, support your local dive shops. He's he's one. I mean, eBay is nice, but yeah, I mean, little, little odds and ends. But you, you need so, to support your local shops because, to my knowledge, there is no eBay for air refill. Well, we got some videos out there. He had a huge Godzilla iguana that swim along some underwater footage. Let's see if I can bring that out. Breaking. I was looking for it, and I don't see it on mine. Oh. Well, no, it, it, some of these websites, it's like not every time you visit it, but this time it wants me to answer questions. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I'm not going to fill your question. I, I don't just, care how I, simple I, the question. is. I said I'm not going to buy a car, so I went right to it. Wow! If I saw that freaky thing on the bottom, I'd get the hell out of the water. <laughs> he's a, he's. It's like a living dinosaur. Yeah, and the music is a little weird too. Obviously, I mean he's not. He's eating what is the moss or something? Hey the algae on the rocks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, they, they, that's a lot of what those iguanas will do is they, they like chew on the algae, swim down. But he's a big guy. Yes, he is. I think they had a picture. Here's a diver coming up now. See, and that's another thing you will not find in Lake Michigan. Absolutely, we not. don't have any. We don't have any swimming iguanas. No sharks. No colorful, pretty fish. If you weren't careful, I'd look at that, and if I didn't see his tail, I'd think that's an alligator. Yes. Look how long that tail is. <laughs> yeah. Zilla. He's every bit as big as that diver. Now, how is this for diving? You know, we, we had the article earlier on, on virtual reality. This is like the next step of virtual reality where you're getting the virtual reality on your side, but there's actually a avatar or dive vessel that's going underwater. A human robotic diver has been developed that scientists and archaeologists hope that will open up a new realm of deep sea exploration. Ocean One, created by researchers at Stanford University, combines artificial intelligence with human-controlled haptic feedbacks and to carry out underwater tasks too dangerous for human divers. Guided by a team of deep sea archaeologists, Ocean One has already been used to investigate the shipwreck of La Lune, a flagship vessel of King Louis VIII. Is that eighth? Fort XIV. It's fourteen. That yep. sank in sixteen sixty four off the southern coast of France. Ocean One will be your avatar, said Osama Kabata. O U S S A M A Osama and K H A T I Kabat Kadibit. Once I hear it, I would go, "Oh, that makes sense." A professor of computer science at Stanford. The intent here is to have human diving virtually and to put the human out of harm's way. Having a machine that has human characteristics that can project a human diver's embodiment in the water is going to be amazing. And if you look at the video, they, they show it. They said that the uh, avatar, that the, the, it looks like a human diving. It's got, it looked tethered, the one that I saw. And they said it's oil filled. So they said it can go down to a thousand, at least a thousand feet. It has haptic feedback. So anything it touches, it relays back to the diver. Uh, this one I like. It's kind of like the virtual reality of the other one, but you're actually diving. Where did you see the pictorial? Uh, the video at the beginning of the uh, the article. Oh, I don't see a video. I have a stop hammer time that I stopped. Yeah, you, if, I, you have to go through the 14 or 15 seconds or whatever video. For yeah. me, it's Capital One. 28 seconds. I, I can get a credit card, which I already have a Capital One credit card. Do I get, like, you know, can I just, like, put that in the machine? and they Bonus points. But after you get past that, they'll show you the, the robot. ROV. Yeah. When they start saying avatar equivalent, since everybody's seen the movie and you get in that little tube, mm-hmm. that would be freaking awesome, though, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's in the spirit of that, but it's, uh, uh, you, it reminds me, if you ever saw the old, uh, I don't say the old, the newer version, which is still 20 years ago, what was the one at uh, Will We Sequest? They had a underwater ROV, you know, VR and haptic. And that's really what this, they've taken it at. But, 
It'd be great. I, it, you would, it would be like you feel like you're diving, but you're actually running an ROV that's going down there. So from a scuba diver's perspective, it'd be like we'd be diving 800, 900 feet down. Yeah. And I would love that. <laughs> Sign me up. I, well, there, there's it's, it's an interesting aspect to this. For that, Playboy actually and Playboy Channel uh-huh. had a bio suit that you could wear with tactical <laughs> sensors. Yeah, it, it's it's an interactive with with other. So the sensors, it's not just the hands that are being attached. That's the whole freaking body. Right? We're, we're a body suit <laughs> and electrical stimulations of your fingertips and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. It was it was designed for a couple of years from now. The, so kind of back to the early the article, the guy with the hammer. I mean, is that for the kink aspect? You know, we could smack him. Uh, I'm not sure. And then how about this for some potentially cool gear? I bubble the world's first underwater camera drone. What they're doing here is that the uh, this drone will follow you around. An autonomous action camera designed for scuba divers. The French startup company started making it, uh, marketing it as a fund uh, startup maker funding. So it must be their their version of kicks. By the way, I, I'm going to give you a little heads up on this. Mm-hmm. Someone put in a request that samples of this be sent to a particular person who has, I think it's called Scuba Obsessed. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, the process is because they don't have a an American vendor for the uh-huh. product. And they were suggested that they should send one of these to this organization that I'm talking about, this podcast on equipment. So they could try it out and give them a honest opinion of what they felt about that. Oh, yeah, that, that we'd certainly be able to get a good test. I encourage them to continue that kind of correspondence. <laughs> include us in that. Certainly. Well, I saw that uh, Wolf's was trying to get an initial order in. Did you see that? And that may be where part of the conversation took place. Uh, I mean, there's all these things that the, we, we need to get on those lists for people to send us stuff to try out. Because I would certainly give them my opinion on it. I mean, I, I've been looking for something like this. I've got business plans for underwater programming uh, that we could do. But what comes down to it, if you think above land programming, I mean, when you when you've got grips and you know dolly operators and lights and cameras above water, video programs are very involved. When you get underwater, it just like expert gets more complicated. Uh, and to have something like this. You know, to have two or three of these uh, following divers around, that'd be awesome. I think it's a great idea. I would like to see it actually work, though. <laughs> I'm, I, I know the challenges of, of underwater and sending data and signal and tracking. What, what happens when you get in really green water? What does it do? Interesting item, though, isn't it? It certainly is. It said pre-sales start as early as February of 2016, with general sales are expected to begin early 2017. Scuba It's been all over. Facebook.com, iBubbleCam. So I think we've we've pretty much done it for scuba. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for having us on the air again. They've been pretty patient with us as we've gone through. Uh, hopefully, get back into this. I think we're right now getting into diving, season, so we'll have plenty. You can visit us on our website, which is getting quite stale, but needs to be updated. www.scubaobsessed.com or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed, and you can follow our Twitter feed where we tend to have scuba news articles throughout the week. At Scuba Obsessed, the chat room. We're on a talk show Thursday nights. We record, and we we've been back on talk show. I'm I'm thinking about maybe trying to uh, Google, maybe a Google Hangout or something. I see other programs, and we'll give that a shot on talk show or show seven three seven five nine. You have anything you want to plug, Mac? No, but if you're not out there diving now, I don't know when you're ever going to oh. die. I'm I'm actually uh, I'm I'm on the fence of whether I should go. I've I've got it. I'm working with my doctors. Well, it's bad here when Bob has to beg people to get out there on the boat. I saw the that that he's going out Saturday. Saturday I can't go. I just repaired my lawnmower today. It has been seven months since I mowed my lawn. Uh, we we were losing people in in the yard. I've had them. Uh, what happened? Uh, and throw my my son under the. He ran over a boulder and broke it. I I hate to say this for local businesses, but. And it wasn't really a local business. It's a Sears Craftsman lawnmower. And to buy the part, and this wasn't even the whole part. This is just like a little housing. It's like a spindle. It's an aluminum framework that has three bolts that attaches it to the deck. And one of those cracked. So I had to replace it. Just the aluminum was like $150. That's I'm why you go to a garage sale. You buy one that doesn't work, and you scrap it get the parts off. Well, here's what I did is I went on Amazon. I could buy two of those with bearings, with mandrels, with all the bolts, all the nuts. <clears throat> I bought a belt and I bought 
a uh, two <laughs> brand new sharpened blades for it, all for about seventy dollars, for about half the price they wanted for one just aluminum casting. I I understand. I mean, today I I got my lawn cut again, but I'm I'm losing gas, and I finally looked at it, and it's like my the, from the um, gas tank to the carburetor, that hose was like a freaking sponge. Oh, it was just it was just yeah. yeah I, I, I'd start out mowing with a full tank, and I'd get done. It's like totally dry. <laughs> How the hell does that happen? Because I so, was leaking fluid out. So, so you just need somebody with a little bit of match to run right behind you, and you could like uh, have have a torch, your yard torch. Yeah, yeah, or me. <laughs> well, I, I had the same thing happen to me with my weed whacker. That the that tubing, I, I I I went to use the weed whacker about two or three years ago, and I touched it, and the tube just fell apart. It was the the fuel line, you know, a little bit of gas tank into the motor. It just disintegrated. I still have it hanging in the barn. I need to fix it. Uh, but yeah, these these things are really aren't made to last. But this, uh, my son ran over it, and he graciously helped me today to put it on. It took us about three hours repair, and I'm able to mow a little bit before the podcast. But that's going to be my Saturday between my daughter playing tennis and mowing. It'll be Saturday, Sunday. I might be able to get out. If- yeah, we got scheduled tomorrow to go mow the lawn. We had uh, the dive tonight, and last Thursday was a good dive. Uh, Papa. Visibility today was maybe six, seven feet, uh, about the same as air temperatures, 47 degrees air, 47, 50 degree water temperature, pawpaw. Uh, we dove um, Woods Lake again. That was, Tuesday. was Woods Lake the one that Kevin did where he said he had 15 feet? Uh, he had 20-something feet. Well, oh. I went out with him Tuesday, and we only had 12 or 14 feet. And when the sun came out, it was like night and freaking day. Now, when you say the sun, was it this, the, the light was reflecting off the bottom, making it better? Well, we had, we had um, a lot of cloud cover. Mm-hmm. When the cloud cover would go through the sun, it, it turned black on the bottom. When it didn't, it, you could see on the bottom, which oh, nice. I've never been able to see in 20 feet of water. It, it was very, very nice. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, and, th- and that's the thing is this time of the year, the, you can start sooner than later because in, in fresh water in Michigan, the early season is your best for visibility. It, it generally is. This year was really different. That's what was funny about the other lakes have been lousy. And suddenly, bingo, woods opened up to be really nice. Now, Kevin's been averaging, it seems like, three dives a week. Oh, he's he's been out diving. And he, he is the new scuba obsessed, I would say, the dive club. Well, what he's doing is, is he's got his rescue diver. He just finished that last week again at Gilboa. Yep. He's working on his master diver. Well, so he's, he's doing different classes in addition to was with the rescue team diving, getting on their team. And then on the weekends, that's when he's been doing his uh, research diving. He's just, he's, he's out there. And he you know. will be a rebreather man. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I saw him eyeing the rebreather. So once he hit rebreathers, Bob will have a friend. It'll, it'll, it'll make for long dives, for long days on a boat, because when you get two rebreather divers in the water, you know when they're coming. Yeah, so it, it's good for him, and that's... Uh, coming a long way and we've got a lot of new divers have been joining the club Excellent. and uh, we've got a new we're actually two new females uh, karen was out tonight she couldn't dive because she had rotator cuff surgery the other day Ooh. but she's been out there shore support moral support yeah and her mother who's i think 70 just got certified oh excellent <laughs> way to go yeah she's she's a little leery the cold water because she's from texas and she came out tonight also yeah. So Richard Curtis was with me, and uh, people are getting out there diving. So Excellent. you should be too. Oh yeah, I'm I'm I am beyond ready. This is like one of my longest dry spells. Again. I keep saying uh, robotics is tapering off for now, and now it's just a matter of getting everything done. I've I've got so much stuff behind catching. Uh, well, like you kicker. said, the kids come first. Yes. Because they're going to grow up, and then they. Who, oh, what you want me to hang with you? Yeah. Yeah. They they still think I'm somewhat cool. Not not really major cool but you know i'm not they, they still ask for my advice i'm just kind of not you gotta take advantage of that i'm hoping that one of them will decide you know the scooping thing might not be too bad i i, I see a glimpse of it maybe one or the other or both we'll see maybe it's a some a corral them I'm, I'm even trying to get them to do shore so they tend to get bored pretty quick it's one of the no that you gotta have some activity that yeah. you feel like you're contributing and getting something back. What I, what I need to do is get them to go with a friend. Like, you know, because what, what I need to do is work on the friends. Because I'm sure the friends will think it's, you know, my kids have kind of gotten numb to it. Like, sad dad, scuba. He talks about it online a lot. But uh, I think they're friends who haven't, you know, that's still like a superpower. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we get to breathe underwater. How great is that? 
wheel, we could do a discover scuba for the kids and just use a hookah rig in the shallows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did take, uh, to the friend's pool, uh, you know, cause I've, I've got a long hose on my rig. I do a long hose, short hose. And my daughter did swim down with it underwater and she got used to breathing it and she thought that wasn't too bad because my, my daughter's a, a competitive swimmer among other things it's tennis season right now but she does swim competitive so you would think it'd be natural but i i think it's one of those things she wants it to be unique to her thing yeah uh, i haven't given up yet throwing the- well have we got any feedback from anybody lately last week uh, or oh, last time i was on we had got some good we, we did have somebody, and I can't. I'm trying. Let me see if I can find them. They sent me. An, they sent me an email, and they were talking about robotics. Uh, and it's so far deep. Find them here. Well, you're looking now. I'm putting a plug out there. Talk to us. Tell us what you want us to hear. What we should be looking at. If you have some ideas for us to do something underwater, you know, uh, tell us what you like us to talk about. How's that sound? I think that sounds great. But somebody did send me a message, and it went on an article almost down to our... Wow, I talk yeah. a lot about robotics. Yeah. I do have another presentation coming up. Oh, do you? When's that? Yeah, we got one I'm doing at the Rotary Club on the 26th. Actually, it's on a Thursday. <laughs> but that's in the afternoon. Oh. Uh, that one last month at the uh, Buchanan. And the feedback is interesting. One was an ex-cop. I'm talking about a particular lake he knew something about, and he says... Did you have, ever look for the for the for the money that was tossed in there? And I says, oh, "Excuse me." He says, "Well, for a cut, if you go out there and look for it, I'll tell you." <laughs> and then he proceeded to tell me where they had uh, had a robbery and where the suspect threw the money in. And he said later he came back and confessed where he said it was. It's not where he threw it. So oh, wow! I need to go back out that way and uh, check the area that he told me to check out. Okay, well, that sounds great. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not finding. I'm, 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 I'm getting back to where I see everybody talking about the minimum dives for divers, and we appreciate all those. If we didn't read yours on the air, that just bump us again, reforward it, and say, hey, you, you didn't talk about mine. At this point, if we didn't talk about it, we, we missed it. Oh, we did that presentation at the Sportsman, also. Oh yeah, that's it. We've that's been sense. Interesting feedback because some people came up there and said, "You got any bottles from Dwajak? Because he was into milks." Oh. And he obviously knew his stuff. He said, got a standing. If you find me a, uh, he said, any kind of a hutchie, quart size that has the check on it, he said, sight unseen, I give you 50 bucks for it. Wow. He said, what about milk bottles? So he named four different groupings. I'll have, or, to, I'll have to look through my stuff because. Uh, yeah, I, I, I told him I did. I have his number. Well, see, I've also got Dwajak. Uh, there was a soda company in Dwajak, and I think I've got quite a few of those. Yeah. I got a nice one today. It was a, still a crown top, but it's old, embossed from Benton Harbor again. Did find a car today, a small one. A car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was out there doing a, a a drill with the metal detector, trying a new technique for his low vis. And, I be, you know, freaking nails drive me crazy. Why are out there? I think somebody just took a 100-pound bag, took a boat, and just threw nails out in that freaking lake. Because <laughs> you get a wonderful hit. You know what? You know, you go and you can't find it. And you finally got enough visibility, you know, three inches. And you can find this freaking rusty nail about two inches long. Well, you, you, well, the nail's just what was left of whatever the nail was. But I hate to discriminate between it because the day you do that is when you're not going to find that four-foot piece of pipe that's got end caps on it and the inside is filled with silver dollars. Yes. So why is somebody throwing silver dollars in the water? <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me there. Well, I think um, uh, Karen was out there during surface support today. Mm-hmm. She took some pictures when we were out there. I already posted it on Facebook. But uh, we did have, see and have a nice picture of a uh, what we would consider a freshwater barracuda. Did, oh. you, take, did you see the picture? No. Uh, it's a pike. Oh, yeah. I would call those a freshwater. Yeah, because they look like one, except if they kept their mouth open. Uh, we found two of those. Well, one was dead on the right-hand side. The other we thought was dead until I poked him, and then he, he's floating. He's swimming upside down. Uh, I think he, in about an hour he moved twice. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to determine why they're dead and why they're on shore. And it looked like he had a bite on the back panel of his, le- of, of, of his nearest fence, but it wasn't a lamprey-looking bite. So I'm curious what got a hold of that guy. Wow, yeah. And they're doing another uh, chemical treatment for milfoil as a follow-up through their five-year program. Mm-hmm. My only advice is when you go out, check the trees around where you're diving to make sure they don't have a little thing that says don't dive. Chemicals underwater. 
Oh, so that's what they're doing? They're marking the trees? Well, yeah, yeah, because uh, that's what they did last time I dove. I saw it after I finished my dive. Yeah, after the decontaminating. I was, I expected it on the sign that says pure, you know, that, that, that kind of information. It was on a freaking tree. If you can read this, you've probably just been exposed to toxic <laughs> chemicals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't drink the water. This is not flat. Now, now were you in a uh, dry suit? No, I was not. Oh, okay. Well, once again, thank everybody in the chat room. Uh, nice to see. It's great to have some the conversation. We've got Mark who, who's talking to about his all his dives. Seems that him and Vanessa both have done Maui. Maui's on. Uh, Vanessa's on her way to Maui this next. We're we're thoroughly jealous. We want to see pictures. So go ahead and share them with us. If you listen to the show, we love those five star reviews. Go to iTunes. Leave them there. We can also do that on Talk Seven Three Seven Five Nine. It is that time of year for us to... If you're not diving, I don't know. Are, do you dive? Speaking of that type of the, the bad scuba joke. I'm ready. I haven't heard one for a month. Let's see. I can't I can't remember which ones I've done. So if I... Uh, I've, I've got a few. So let, let's, let's start with this first one and see how well... It, two cows are standing next to each other in a field. Daisy says to Dolly, I was artificially inseminated. I don't believe you, says Dolly. It's true. No bull, exclaimed Daisy. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> now, let, let, let's, do, let's do one more. So... We have Mahatma Gandhi, you know, walked barefoot most of the time, which produced an impressive set of calluses on his He also ate very little, which made him rather fail. And with his odd diet, he suffered from bad breath. This made him, oh, man, this is so bad, it's good. A super callous, calloused, fragile mystic hexed by halitosis. <laughs> yeah, say that. That's easy, easy for you to say. Let's do a third one. Since we've been so far off, we'll, we'll just go ahead and roll right in the next one. A group of chess enthusiasts checked into a hotel and were standing in the lobby discussing their recent tournament victories. After about an hour, a manager came out of the office and asked, it, asked them to disperse. But why, they asked, as they moved off, because, he said, I can't stand chestnuts boasting by an open foyer. Uh, I can't do tongue twisters either. <laughs> that was cute. So hopefully you caught up in the bad scuba joke. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. been completed well thank you everybody in the chat room hope you have a good night i want to go to maui i do too <laughs> oh